Hi, Sweat Elite podcast listeners. Matt here. Thanks for tuning in to another Sweat Elite podcast episode. This week's guest is Danish national marathon champion, Tice Nahos. He's also the Danish national champion over some shorter events, such as 5K and 1500 meters. He represented Denmark at the World Athletics Championships in Doha last October, where he placed 31st in the marathon, impressively negative splitting the marathon by running 110 in the first half and 108 in the second half, finishing with a 218, which was a super impressive result for such humid conditions. He has a current marathon personal best time of 214.18, and his short-term goal is to run under the 2020 Olympic Games qualifying standard for the marathon of 211.30 at the upcoming Seville Marathon, which takes place this coming weekend as of the date of publishing this podcast. Um, so the Civil Marathon takes place on the 23rd of February. So it was a really good time to speak with Tice to hear all about his training leading into Civil Marathon. Um, he is in absolutely terrific shape. I've been following him quite closely on Strava. I actually did a bit of running with Tice in Kenya last month. We were both there and I met him while he was there on a one-month training camp and my personal opinion is that he definitely has a good shot at running under this standard of 211.30 at Seville this coming weekend. Tice was very open in sharing a lot of information about his training. He talks about how he prepared for the Doha World Athletics Championships. He did a little training camp in Dubai in brutal conditions, um, basically trying to prepare for the conditions at Doha. He talks about some training sessions that he did, such as four times 5K at 11 p.m., preparing for the midnight start of the Doha World Athletics Championships uh, Marathon. He talks about losing over six kilos of sweat in a single training run while at that training camp in Dubai. Um, he speaks a bit about training with 205 Norwegian marathon runner Sondre Moen in Italy last year. Tice is also currently studying to become a doctor. He's a little bit over halfway of his medicine degree, so he talks a bit about how he balances studying medicine while training and racing. He speaks about his pre-race diet, what he prefers to do diet-wise leading into a race, and he talks a bit about how he's a big believer in eating plenty of junk food and letting go, having some beers post-race. I, I really enjoyed speaking with Tyson in this call, as I said before, because he shared so much information about his training, and I think that um, you listeners can really take a lot from this interview. Before I transition to the recording with Tice, I just want to warn you that the audio quality on my end is definitely well below average. I had clearly some issue with my microphone that I didn't realize until after the call, unfortunately, so my voice is a little bit fuzzy at times. I do apologize about that, but luckily Tice's voice is very clear throughout the whole episode. Lastly, huge thanks to the Sweat Elite subscribers that support the Sweat Elite podcast, which is not to run advertisements on the podcast. So Sweat Elite subscribers help support and cover some of the costs of the production of the podcast. And in return, they access all of the 450 plus, almost 500 now articles on the Sweat Elite website about elite distance running training, which is thousands of hours worth of reading. Tice Nahos also adds to the Sweat Elite article collection um, by sharing his last two months of training leading into the Seville Marathon. And you can find a link to that training log in the show notes of this podcast episode. If you can't see the hyperlink URL in your podcast player, as some podcast players don't allow links, 
just go to the Sweat Elite website, go to the marathon section, and you will find it at the top there. You will find two months' worth of Tysus training leading into the Seville Marathon. Also, thank you to those that have rated the Sweat Elite podcast on your podcast player. If you had enjo- if you have enjoyed the Sweat Elite podcast, we invite you to rate it. We really appreciate those that have done so, as we always like to hear feedback as to how we're doing. That's about enough for me in this intro. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode with Danish national marathon champion, Tice Nahos. Okay, welcome to another Sweat Elite podcast episode. Uh, thanks for joining. Today I have calling in from Denmark, Tice Nahos, who has just spent a month training in Kenya where we both met. Thanks so much for joining today, Tice. Thank you very much. Yeah, so you're um, currently uh, back in Denmark in your hometown of, let me pronounce it correctly, Aarhus? Yeah, Aarhus. Aarhus, which is the second biggest city in Denmark. And as I said, you just spent a month training in Kenya preparing for the Seville Marathon, which is going to take place in just under three weeks' time. So, yeah, thanks so much again uh, for joining, and I'd like to cover um, plenty of topics that we briefly spoke about uh, when we did some runs together in Kenya. But um, you're in terrific shape right now leading into Seville uh, with three weeks to go. And I guess we could start by talking a bit about your training session that you did yesterday because I was I was amazed and I'm actually really curious to know now what your uh, goal is going into Seville. So yesterday you had three times 7K and I'll let you tell the rest of the story. Um, but yeah, it was a super impressive training session. Yeah, thanks. It's I got back from from Kenya on Friday and took it easy Friday, took it easy Saturday. And then my coach went with me on the bike and we had some other mates going around a a lake that's completely flat, very, (laughs) very non-Kenyan way where everything is hilly. But yeah, did 4k warm up, changed into my racing shoes and then did three by seven K with one K of jogging in between. And the first rep was, it was a little tough because we started 7K straight into a headwind. So, but it's good. It was the first one, and and then the second one was half half, and then the last one was actually 7K with the tailwind, pretty much. So that kind of really helped me go through the last parts of it. And I practiced some some drinking throughout the run as well. It's it's easy drinking when you're running at slow speed or when you're running like in the breaks, but it's really hard. Going 20k an hour and actually also drinking at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, I'm just looking at your Strava splits now. Like you were running right around 305 to 310 per k for most of the session. In fact, I think most of it was a little bit quicker than 310. Um, so was the goal of that session to try and run those three by seven k at a little bit quicker than marathon pace, or is that is that your goal marathon pace? Because if I've done the math correctly, that's a little under 210 uh, pace. Yeah. The 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 goal for me now I've, I've ran 214 which is 311 and coming into this Olympic year the goal is to break the 21130 which is the auto qualifier for the Olympics mm-hmm. and I think 307 will give you 21135 okay so I'm trying to try to run at least 307 per k and since I'm not trusting technology 100 percent then I think it's good to go at least like one or two seconds faster on your watch. Yeah. Just to make sure you're on the right side. You never know whether it's either going the one way. So just to be sure it's, I try to run like 30, yeah, 307 and then to 305. And I think I did 306, 305, 303 for the 37 case. 
So, yeah. And the last one is obviously with a little bit of a tailwind, and I ran 15.09 the last 5K, so felt really, really good, and it was kind of like simulating a, a hard effort Awesome. at marathon speed. So I feel like the month you just spent in Kenya has certainly uh, certainly paid off, um, and I'd like to talk quite a bit about <clears throat> the training that you were doing there. We met there, as I've already said, and... Um, uh, I did a couple of my steady runs while you were doing your more more easier runs. But um, at, uh, so, how long was it exactly that you did spend in Kenya? I think I think I just saw in your Strava that you got up to about day twenty six, twenty seven. So it was about four weeks. Yeah, that's correct. I did twenty six days of training in Kenya. It was my sixth time in Kenya. So and fifth time to E ten, where you see a lot of runners from all nationalities, and it's a great place for training. Yeah. So what does continue to bring you back to Iten in Kenya? Um, we briefly discussed this on the podcast episode with your one of your training partners, Philip Flieger, and he sort of spoke a bit about what he likes about going to train in Kenya, um, and some of the advantages are obvious, but what brings you back there and why do you keep going back there to prepare for, I, for, for races? Uh, I think it's the combination of, I mean, I went, I've been in, going to Kenya in January the last three years, and it's just getting away from the cold in, in northern Europe. I obviously could go to the southern part of Europe, but since the price for staying three weeks in Portugal or Spain is the same as staying three weeks in Kenya, and you get in the altitude and a little bit of better weather, it's a no-brainer for me that Kenya is probably the best place to train yeah. when you're going in January. And also there's no – I think there's a two-hour time difference for me going from Denmark to – it's, it doesn't take too much time to adjust, uh-huh. and the travel is, is decent, I think. Going to Nairobi, it's 12 hours, 13 hours in total in the travel journey, which is makes it quite okay. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Um, I guess we probably should have uh, mentioned this at the very start, but just quickly, you uh, have personal bests of 13.43 for the 5K, uh, 28.50 for the 10K, which you ran actually just a couple of months ago in Paris, first time under yeah. 29 minutes. Um, but your focus nowadays is more on the full marathon, and you also have a sorry personal best of 2.14.18, and um, yeah. half marathon personal best of 63.30. But you've only run three marathons now. Um, you opened up with a 2.19.42 at the uh, by winning the Danish <clears throat> national championships in 2018, although that was a tactical race and it wasn't an all-out effort. Um, and then you, the next race, you ran your 214 and qualified for the Doha World Champs and placed 31st at the Doha World Championships last year in the marathon. Um, I reckon we could talk a little bit about that whole progression and um, whether or not that was a goal of yours to qualify for the Doha World Champs, because it almost seems like going from 219 opening to 214 and qualifying for the World Champs that happened sort of very quickly. And um, it'd be good to talk about um, talk about that sort of process. Yeah, the the marathon thing is really taking me by storm. I think I I always been a high mileage guy, and I always f- fancied going to the road is where my end destination would be, but. I really tried to push it on the 5K on the track first and tried to see if I could get faster and faster. And I got down to the 13.43, and I was 2016, 2017, 2018, 
all running like 1340s and there was not really that much of a progression in it. And then 2018 was a little bit injured. I got some strange injuries that nobody could really figure out. And I got my wisdom teeth pulled out during the summer. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me. Suddenly the, the weird pains I had, they disappeared. And my coach was, yeah, maybe after the season I did it. I did some track and then I did a half marathon and he's like, you might as well try the marathon. It's a Danish champs. There's not too much pressure on you. Just try to see where it will lead you. And I ran 219, became Danish champion in that race. Was second behind a Kenyan, 219. It was was good. I did probably like 120, 130k a week. Not too much. And it was just a great learning experience that we took a lot of things from there that we we knew, okay, th- these things were good and these things we can do even better. And that's why I decided to go for a, a full first ma- marathon build-up towards Dusseldorf in, that was April 2019. And it was really a perfect race for me. It's, I, I, my goal was to break the 216, which was the qualifying for Worlds. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had a great group. We were 10 guys together. We had perfect pacing. The weather was like 8, 9 degrees and I ended up on the podium, which was an extraordinary second marathon for me, and I was really, really excited. And then I knew beforehand that if I would qualify for Worlds, I'd never been to Worlds on the track either with the times I have. And with all this going on with the Olympics or and Worlds and should you go, shouldn't you go, a World Championship I will never say no to. It's It's like you're not guaranteed going to the Olympics if you said no. So that's why I decided to go to Worlds and really prepare well. Because the conditions would probably be very similar to what we'll face in Japan, hopefully. (laughs) Sorry, was the reason why people were saying, oh, should you go, shouldn't you go, was just due to the the fact that it was going to be so warm? It was definitely, people were probably a little bit afraid of going into, it's going to be 30 plus degrees for the race, even though it was midnight and, I think some people decided they would rather try to get the Olympic standard uh, at some races in Europe that were obviously a lot faster. Yeah. Okay. So that was Dusseldorf in, that was when you qualified in April 2019, which gave you about four or five, maybe even six months to Doha. Um, Yeah. So so the goal before Dusseldorf was to run under the 216 and you managed to run the 214. Um, 18, which qualified you. Um, and did you do anything different leading into to Doha? Actually, in fact, I already know, having looked through some of your Instagram posts, that you spent some time preparing for that in Dubai. Yes. Uh, I had a, I did some track during the summer. I tried not to lose my speed for the marathon. I think people say you get slow from doing marathons, but you get slow from the fact that you forget to do the speed trainings. Yeah, so sure. that's why I did some, some track training and I got a little break. I got a little calf strain and I got some some tooth problems again. It seems like a problem that's occurring to me once a year. But I did four weeks at Sistriere in Italy at altitude with uh, Sandre, mm-hmm. the 205 guy, and came down, did Copenhagen half. And then straight after that, I pretty much went to Dubai. And I think uh, I think that was the major key for me in my preparation for Doha. Because the Dubai weather was 35 degrees, 40 degrees, and very, very humid. Yeah. Whereas a lot of other people went to southern parts of Europe, and yes, it was 30 degrees, but it was not humid in the same way. And 
running in 30 degrees, even though you put on cotton clothes and you put on more clothes, it's not the same. No. So I just spent a week by myself in Dubai training there on my own because I was the only male representative for Denmark <laughs> in the entire World Champs. So I was there by myself and then I went to Doha the week before. So I got two weeks of heat training. But it was right. really hard adjusting. My heartbeat went all over the place. And I think the third or fourth day in Dubai, fourth day, I went to the Formula One track and I did my training there. It's a mile loop that I did like, <laughs> like I think I did it 16 times. Something. I did like 25K and there's doctors at the place. And I tried to drink throughout the, the run. I brought two liters of water and energy drink with me. And I weighed myself prior and post the race, or race the, the run, and I had lost 4.5 kilos. That's crazy. And that's even with adding two liters in there. So if I wouldn't have taken any water or energy drink, it would have been a six and a half kilos in an hour and a half. <laughs> and I could see my heartbeat just faded up to like 185, 190 for an easy run. So heat is quite extreme, and especially that, when you factor in the humidity. Did that make you worried or how did you feel after that training run i mean what you know one could say that you feel more confident but knowing that you're adapting but at the same time that's a huge that's a six and a half kilos i mean i know it was four and a half kilos but factor in the the water consumption or fluid consumption as you said like how did you what did you think after that were you yeah i was i was a little bit worried i, I weighed myself every day before and after the run and I, and I divided by how many, many minutes, and I could see I was actually getting better with the weight loss during every run. It got better and better, so that helped me. And a lot of people were were shaming the world's being in Doha, and for obviously for people rights, it was not a good country to be in. But the people who ran the marathon, they are there by own choice, and they knew it's. They could have looked at the weather forecast the last three years, and yeah. it would have been 33, 32, and 30. So it couldn't be like a. For me, it wasn't a surprise at all, and yeah. I, it didn't. I think it scared me less going there because I knew it was a loop of 7k. That there were there would be medical people like probably like every single k, a k and a half. So if something would happen to me, that's probably the most secure place I could be in compared to if I was training. So that's true. I was not afraid at all for the race, and I had people out there, and the fact that I think I got an ice like there's ice waters and. And I got like, we went to H&M and bought like 11 headbands for women. Yeah. And we clipped a hole in them and we put ice cubes and cold water in there. So oh, I grabbed right. them every time at my water station. You see at the pictures from Worlds. Yeah. I had ice cubes I had ice cubes within it that was sitting around my uh, my head and actually dripping a little bit of cold water into my neck, like the entire race. That's brilliant. And it worked really well, that that, that was a good yeah, idea. that went really well. It's I, I tried to take towels and stuff, but they they're kind of heavy and they jump all over the place. So this headband was absolutely perfect. I probably shouldn't give away all my my creativity and my <laughs> my small helps to performing well in the heat because now everybody can go ahead and do it. But next year it's okay. Yeah, and also and also I took a scissor and just cut my singlet in pieces. As yeah, you probably can find a picture on there as well. So I think I have seen it. It was a great experience, and I'm really, really happy I did it, and I'm really proud of that performance. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, 31st is a, it's a huge run. Yeah, 31st, I, 31st, I think. Yep. And you negative split that race. You went out in 70 and came back in 68 to run 218. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe I should have gone out a little quicker. Uh, I've just looked at the women's marathon where the conditions were a little bit worse. And we took the top 15 and figure out how much they were behind their PB. And it's like 11%. So we thought if I would go between 9 and 10% slower than my marathon best. And we had factored in that I was probably in better shape. But after 15K, people were just blown away. And they were two, three minutes ahead of me. That's a good thing. When you turn around a cone, you can see the other people running on the other side. And I was like, if I give them more room at 30K, they will be five minutes ahead of me and I won't catch them back. Yeah. So from 15K, I, I basically just I took off my watch. Like I didn't take off my watch, but I didn't look at it anymore. And I just started racing. Mm-hmm. I just started going, okay, catch next pe- next person. And I think really onto a 30K, I didn't, I, I caught nobody. <laughs> it was like, this is not great. When when are people starting to die? And then the last 10K was just, it was a horror field. People were laying like next to the course and being picked up by small minivans and driven <laughs> off. And other people were literally walking. So I think I picked up like 25 people that lost 10K. Yeah, I really, I, I recommend anyone that's listening to this that wants to hear more about that experience to to, to look at your Instagram um, post. It's, it's it's probably about ten to fifteen posts back, but you write a really good reflection on on that race. And I I, I really liked one of the things that you said. You said a lesson was that sometimes when you get in a race, you have to throw away your 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 target splits and your plan, and you have to just adjust to the situation because that would have felt pretty strange at being all on your own at fifteen twenty k and being three minutes behind, you would have been thinking, wow, my plan is, is <laughs> should I keep following it and stick on this pace or should I should I just really race it? Yeah, and it's, we, my coach has a mantra of saying, you can put on a target time for anything, but what if you suddenly have your best day? It's, you're, you're putting limits on yourself, which you shouldn't be doing. So it's, I think it's for a marathon, it's important to have a plan and, think a couple of different plans through but eventually on the race day you've got to be smart and and make the right decisions accordingly to how you feel yeah absolutely no awesome thanks for um for sharing that but i guess you were pretty how did you feel after that that result i mean was that a was that where you were yeah uh, (laughs) i was really happy with the performance i i think i was seated 60th Yep. So just really improving my seed, which is really, really great. And just getting through a marathon at such extreme conditions, it was 31 degrees and like 65, 70% humidity, which is not even bad compared to the other days that were way worse. And But running a marathon at midnight, you get back to the hotel at four. There's no way you can sleep. So yeah. my legs are just cramping. And I, I think I pretty much pulled off like 35 hours of not sleeping. Oh, just because yeah. adrenaline was pumping and everything that was going on. Yeah. But I recovered rather quickly. I think some of my concern was how long is this recovery going to take with such extreme conditions. But because it was so warm, you, you can't really go to your maximum muscular-wise. Like, it's just like there's a limitation on how fast you can go. Yeah. So I think muscularly, I think my legs felt great after a week. I knew my body had been tough, and I took another week just to be sure. That, I mean, the first week I always done three times 30 minutes. That's about it. And then the second week I usually do 10K six days a week, six times during the week, and I take one day off, and I did that this time as well. And then week three, 
I felt amazing. I was doing like 20k runs at like 340 and felt great. Yeah. So I recovered really, really quick, and it might also have been to the fact that I didn't, I didn't strain so much. If I would have gone out in 66 and I would have shuffled home the last 10k, I couldn't move my legs. The recovery time probably would have been longer. So yep. Yep. recovered well and did some cross country afterwards. Yeah. Just a quick question about something that you said and that I kind of forgot about. The, the marathon was at midnight. Did you, uh, that the World Champs uh, Doha Marathon started at midnight, did you, preparing for that, did you train it in the evening or did you, like, how, did you, how did you prepare yourself to be ready to race at that hour? Because us distance runners tend to do their harder sessions, at least in Kenya you were doing most of your harder sessions in the morning at sort of 8 to, or 7 to 9 a.m., um, were you doing any training at night before Doha? That, that, that is actually very true. Uh, it's, I try to be as specific with my training as possible. I try to run the pace I'm going to run in the marathon. I'm also trying to run in the shoes I'm going to race the marathon in. And I'm also trying to prepare to uh, run the workouts at the time I should be racing at. And it's, when I went to Dubai, it kind of gave itself because I could not be out in the sun. I would be like a fried chicken if I would have gone out there more than five minutes or ten minutes for running. So what I did is I I waited, I slept in till like 10, 11 every day and just didn't do a morning run, just did some studying, did watching Netflix. And then when it got dark around eight or nine, I decided to go out and run. Okay. Because, and I ran it in Dubai where I, live, where I stayed. It was like a K up to like a cycling path which was lit up. So I, I would just run out and back there. It was like okay. 18K long, so it was more than long enough, but I would run there, and then I would come back by 9, 10 o'clock, and I would usually do my dinner. <laughs> and before I was finished with dinner and everything, it would be around midnight. And sometimes my, my coach, he was sneaky, and he stayed up in Denmark and, and started asking how my trainings went just to make sure I didn't go to bed before 1 o'clock. <laughs> so I, did, I, did, I didn't do it at, I did midnight I did one time I did my I did a 4x5k session 10 days out I did that at 11 o'clock and I stayed up and watched the first day of the Doha World Champs but I think I got to bed at 3 o'clock but it completely screwed me over the next day my heartbeat went up and I didn't feel great so we decided from there I would train at around between 7 and 9 o'clock yeah. And the last couple of days when I was in Doha, I would go to the track. If there's something nice to watch, the, the evening session in Doha were from 6 o'clock to midnight. So I just watch some track and field, usually go for training at 8 or 9, change my clothing, and then go back in and watch some of the events again and then go home at midnight because in that way I would stay up and kind of yeah. change my daily rhythm. Yeah, sure. But it was tough. Yeah, that's four by five k session at eleven p.m. in the humidity sounds tough, especially if you were. Did you do that on your own? I did everything on my own. It was kind of my mom probably shouldn't know about this because she probably wouldn't let me do like runs in Dubai by myself at eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm studying medicine, so kind of knew the signs of dehydration, and I know when to stop, and I know I didn't. I mean, obviously, I could do these sessions really a lot faster than I wanted to, but I tried to simulate running like 3.18s, 3.20s per K, which was the pace I was aiming for in 
in Doha. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to talk a bit more about your studies and how you um, how you're able to balance that with training and what you've got planned in uh, Kenya for your internship. But but just before that, though, I want to ask about something that you briefly brought up before, and that was um, training with Sandro Moen in Italy. Um, what was that like? Uh, you you know him pretty well. You I mean, he was living in Kenya when you were over there, and we were uh, occasionally talking together. But um, how long did you spend there training with him, and, and what sort of uh, yeah, what was that experience like? Sandra is is from Norway, and we knew each other since the the junior years. We ran a lot of Nordic champions against each other. He beat the crap out of me. He still does. He ran two or five for the marathon and broke sixty in the half a couple of times. And it's just extraordinary gifted but also training really really hard and i decided to go for i found st Moritz was a little too expensive and being a student i decided to write him and ask what he i saw he was there and he said yeah i'm just here by myself in sestriere in italy it's at 2050 meters of altitude and he told me basically just come down if you want to and we'll figure it out so i went down there in half of august half of september last year and we we trained some together like you were saying when you when you did a half tempo i'll do my easy runs that's kind of how <laughs> i felt with him i was yeah, doing my tempo while he was doing a half easy run but yeah we 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 went out to i mean sometimes we would go out back on a course like we would go 10 or 12k out which was a little bit uphill and i would let him go and then he turned around at 12k and whenever he came back i'll probably be at like 11.7 or 11.8 i'll just jump in because the downhill i could i could follow him which was okay yeah. so we we made it work and it was it was a nice environment up there it's like history is an olympic town it's where some of the two 2006 winter olympics was held and it's mainly a, a ski place and there's some really really beautiful mountains and it was Really good for training. We found we found some flat dirt parts, and Sandra is truly inspiring. He has a extreme worth ethic, work ethic. Yeah, he, he really. Uh, I think most people would be able to do his session, like jump in with him, like once in a while. But just the back to back to back to back hard trainings. That's what made him run this fast in the marathon and the half marathon. Yeah, but. It, yeah, it's it, it's crazy, and you see the sessions. Some of the sessions, you see, ah, they're okay. I could probably do that. But then you see the road he did it on in Italy. It's just like a mountain road that has like a incline. The first six k of like 150 meters of ascent, and he still runs three flat on like a gravel path. Yeah, it's I very mean, impressive been, and very motivating. And he's been based in. Uh, at least spending a lot of his time in Kenya for the last what is it probably almost ten years now. So uh, yeah, that sort of terrain he's uh, he's very used to, I guess. Yeah, he's been in Kenya most of the times, and then in the summers he stays in Sestriere in Italy because yeah. his coach Renato Canova is also Italian, and he seems to to like the place a lot. And it's it's a, it's a, definitely a place that's like underrated in the European community of running for altitude training. Yeah, just quickly before we move on topic to, to a different topic, it would be good to hear about that because we occasionally get people ask, oh, where's a good place to go and train at altitude? And I have heard about Sestria, and you've briefly described it there, but um, it doesn't seem to be overly popular for runners. Like, why do you think 
that is it is is it just because it's just not very well known about or there's just better options in St Moritz nearby or what is it yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, you don't, in during the summer season, in Europe at least, you, you don't want to go to to Kenya or, or Falls Creek or Flagstaff because it's just really far away, which, which you have to travel to a competition. So I think mainly people go to St. Moritz, which is really expensive in Switzerland. And, I mean, just renting a place, it's like 70, 80 euros a night, and that's without food. And... I think I'm not sure why Sistrier not more people are going, but maybe it's the fact that you can't go straight out of the door and, and do a run. It's it's pretty much on a hill. Okay. There's a outback 5k course, like you go 5k out, 5k back on like a gravel road, and there's a 2k flat up there you can do workouts on. But we rented a car, and if you could drive, you could drive to like six or seven different places within like 15 minutes. So when you're on training camp and you really have nothing to do all day, or it's quite a lazy thing being on training camp, yep. apart from the running. Like, why not spend the 10, 15 minutes, drive to a place, go run, and then drive up again? It it, it doesn't bother me for sure. Yeah. It's a lot of outback compared to Kenya where you could do loops. A lot of these loops are in the valley between mountains, so you go 6 or 8 or 12K out and you come back. But I don't mind that. That's That's fine with me. Yeah. And you can be at sea level within 50 minutes, and we did some of our track workouts at sea level and just had a pizza and came back up. But a coffee is one euro and a pizza is five euros, so I think yeah. we stayed with full full board for 50 euros. So it's That's really it's a great place, and if you like hiking, there are endless opportunities. And if you like biking a lot, it, it's it's even better. Fabio Aru, one of the great cyclists. He he trains there a lot, and you see a lot of people on a bike. Yeah. Okay. No, good to know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I have suggested it to some people that have asked, but I, I have admittedly said I don't know a lot about it. I just knew that Sandre goes there quite a bit. There is a and there's a track now. Okay. It's there's a, always uh, been a track, but they were re re renovating it last year. But they, I think they finished it now. So I'm definitely going back this summer. Yeah. Together with Sandre, so that'll be be fun. Nice. And you were able to do... Did you do some training with Sandro this uh, this Kenya trip just in January? I saw you do a couple of runs with him, but um, he was just coming back for some I, time off anyway, wasn't I he? I didn't do much training with Sandro. He, he came off Valencia Marathon where he ran 2.06 in yep. December, and he's been a little bit ill and he's been a little bit injured. But it doesn't seem to hurt his shape too much because he's still whooping my ass. But no, he... <laughs> He, he was really uncertain what he was doing from day to day because his body was kind of all over the place. So we did a couple of easy runs together, but that was about it. Right. So, okay. And yeah. I think, yeah, I had my own set schedule now as, as well. And it, it probably shouldn't be like six weeks prior to a marathon where I should try to, to keep up the sundry and kill myself. Sometimes it's you got to make sure when to do this and when not to. Yeah, and it worked out good this way. And I trained a lot with uh, Philip, who was also on the show yeah. earlier. So, yeah, there's a lot of great guys in Kenya, and the amount of good athletes down there. We one day we did a training run. Sunder was there actually. We we're eight marathoners, and I was the slowest with two fourteen eighteen. Wow, it's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that that, that is <laughs> to be able to jump in a group and have yeah that many faster than a two fourteen guy. That is pretty crazy. 
Yeah, I've been um, I've been looking closely, even though I chatted to you briefly about it at the time. I've been looking through your your Strava log, and actually, one thing I really appreciate about about yourself is how transparent you are with your training and how you log it all on Strava. Some of these weeks that you were doing in Kenya were huge. I mean, I'm just going to go through them quickly here. You uh, you would have averaged probably over 200 kilometers per week when you were up there. There was the first week at about 187 kilometers, and then a 215 kilometer week and a 208 kilometer week after that so you got some serious uh some serious volume done over there is that your sort of typical typical volume or would you lift it up a little bit more when you're on a training camp preparing for a marathon or um yeah how do you how do you sort of yeah it, my, my training camp in January, training camp in January in Kenya was, was extraordinary good i didn't have any bump along the roads and everything just seemed to function really well yeah and i th- i took it up a little bit higher i think that eight to four weeks before the marathon, eight to three weeks before, that's really where you should put in the work. I think I had a couple of weeks earlier as well, during December, where I did 200Ks as well. And I did a 180 week, even with the Paris race in there. So I usually put in a lot of work from week eight to week three, like volume-wise, and then I do more specific the last couple of weeks. And I think, I mean... Everybody, it's it's hard to say. It's not completely right, but a lot of people can train very, very hard. But it's what makes the difference between these athletes is probably if they manage to recover from it. So mm. if you're having a busy everyday life, or if it's if it's really cold in Denmark, I will go down a little bit. I might go down to 180 instead of 210, just because I'm doing other things and it's. A little bit colder, so yeah. It's yes, it's definitely my best weeks ever. But I think last year when I went to Kenya, I also did 200 and 195. So yeah, it's around the 200k I get up to in my marathon build-up for a couple of weeks. But I don't do it for 12 or 13 weeks. It's for three, four weeks usually. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I can see the. Uh, I can. I've, I've got a view here of sort of the volume of your weeks for the last couple of months, and yeah, I can see the uh, the December you hit a 197 kilometer week between the 16th of December and the 22nd of December, and then yeah, it was 175 kilometers for the week leading into your 10k PB, which was uh, the week of Christmas, 23rd yeah. of the 29th of December, and you broke 29 minutes for the first time. Yes, those. I trained really hard, and my easy runs were going really, really good. I was doing 340s, and it felt really easy, and usually I do around four minutes, so I knew something big was coming, but I decided it's the marathon that's most important, so I should probably just keep hammering the mileage, so from, I mean, I just kept training my normal schedule until two days before the race, and then two days before I did like 45 minutes, and the day before I just did 40 minutes, and I actually managed to recover from the heavy training load before that, I think I did the 10 days around Christmas from like 16th to 26th, I think in 10 days I did 310k, wow. a little over 30 a day. So, yeah. But one thing I, but one thing I, I always do if you go through my log is, you see Fridays I never go more than one hour. My Fridays are always, no matter what training period I'm in, they're always going to be my rest day in, in like running wise. I do between 40 minutes to 60 minutes, and that's it. Yeah. Just so I have also something to look forward to throughout the week. It's it's also something mentally. Yeah. So do you ever take complete days off? Uh, once in a while I will do if I feel ill or if I don't feel good or 
but in most of the time I don't. I'm extremely motivated and I like running a lot. But and yeah. I, I don't do it for the money. I definitely do it for. I'm. It's not. You don't make a lot of money at at my level, even with two fourteen. Not saying you don't make nothing, but <laughs> so, so it's it's more clean in the way I do it for for my fun and for for the passion I have to the sport. Yeah, and for obviously getting great adventures that nobody can take away from me the rest of my life. Yeah, no, exactly. Awesome. So three weeks to go now till the the target Seville Marathon, and yeah. I guess the t- yeah, as we've already, sort of already spoke about, the target is that qualifier of two eleven thirty, um, which will mean you need to take off about two and a half minutes, maybe a little bit more from your personal best. But I feel like just uh, just from the discussions that we've had, I feel like that's definitely possible. And you're in better shape now than when you were building up towards that two fourteen race. Um, so what's the plan now for the next three weeks? I mean, you said that you'll maybe drop the mileage a little bit, but what sort of workouts do you have have planned? Yeah, now for we're 20 days out, and I will do two workouts a week. I'll do this week. I'll do Wednesday, Saturday, and actually I'll do the same the week after. So Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, and then the Wednesday before the race. And this coming Wednesday, I'm doing five four by five k at race pace around 15:30, and with like a k of recovery in between. Then on Saturday, I'll do probably like an hour of warm-up, and then I'll do 15K at around 3.05 continuously. Mm-hmm. And then I have, I'm not, well, my coach and I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do on the Wednesday. That will be 11 days before the race. Yeah. We might do something a little bit quicker than marathon pace, but we're not completely sure. It depends on how I feel, really. Sure. And then... I actually have the same thing as I did my, my last marathon. Eight days out, I'll do 2 by 10 k with 2K recovery in between at race pace. And then on Wednesdays before the race, I'll do 2 by 5 k at race pace. So yeah, I, that's, that's I, that 2 by 10 k uh, seems to be a, a pretty popular one amongst the elite guys. It's one that I've done a couple of times as well, and I certainly feel like it's a confidence booster if you're able to do the 2 by 10 k at Right around your goal pace, um, yeah, that's a that's a definitely a tough one mentally more than anything. I think. Yeah, it's it's a mentally tough one, but it also, I think it really helps people find out because if they go out of the pace and they die at that pace, it's 20k. You should be able to maintain that in, in training. If you can't, you probably adjust your race plan a little bit. Yeah, sure. So it's it's really a good indicator of of fitness. I think if you only do four or five k tempos, like I'm doing the four by five k. Sometimes they're easier to get through than the 2 by 10 Yeah, for sure. So I think it's a really good thing to... But, again, it's, it's a pace that's above threshold. So even though it seems like a lot of... I think I calculated today, like this week, I have three weeks prior, it's, I do 36K at race pace. And next week, I so the second to last week before, I do 40K at race pace. Yeah. So and then the week itself will be the marathon plus the two times five, so that's fifty-two k race pace. So it's just a gradual <laughs> build-up, actually. Yeah, but sure. makes sense. I don't, I don't think about my mileage anymore. It's if I want to have an evening off, just because I want to be well rested for my session, that's what I do. And the mileage is not going to help you more or less. Now you can probably only make it harder for yourself by doing too much yeah. on the easy days. Right. So in these last three weeks, and I also try. Quickly. 
any emphasis on the volume so much? It's just about hitting. No, the, I just think from day to day, and I think Friday, like Wednesdays and Saturday session are the important ones. Yeah. And yeah. I also tend to to go a little bit slower in my easy runs. Maybe it just comes natural the days after, and also just from it being a little bit colder here. Yeah. And sure. Nine days prior to Seville, I'll go down to Spain just to make sure I don't catch a cold or anything bizarre happens here in Denmark. You, the weather is not as steady here, so yeah, I'll go down there and just put some emphasis on also not being able to do stuff with, with friends. It seems kind, kind of strange, but if you're asked to, to join some of your friends, you might, I'm a social type of person, and I might go out and actually hang out with them, and it's, it might be better just to, to go to bed. <laughs> And sleep. So that's why I go down to Spain nine days prior. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid the temptation of going out <laughs> or hanging out with your friends. That's a, yeah, that's yeah, I mean, I, I, won't, I won't go out and hammer myself. I train too much to do that. But yeah. like even small things, you, you go out in public and they might catch a beer. You, I might catch one too or have a Coke or something. But there might just be people that are coughing or sick or whatever. It's Yeah, for sure. The, the further you get up the ladder of of running faster the more you start to overthink things so yeah yeah but that's that's the way with the marathon you train so long for it and it'll be rather stupid not to spend that last week wisely yeah absolutely awesome and just quickly back to the first thing we spoke about which is on the same topic as this and that's sort of training at race pace which is uh which is certainly something that I see you put a lot of emphasis on, which I'm also a huge fan of. Yeah. Doing a lot of work at that goal pace or slightly under, slightly over. Um, how did you feel on the uh, on the 3x7K th- yesterday at, at right around that 305 pace? Did you leave that workout thinking, yeah, I think that's sort of, that's right around where my goal pace should be for this next marathon? Or, or did you sort of think I'm going to need a few more sessions like that to get used to it? Or what were your thoughts sort of finishing that, that, that workout yesterday? My, my hex, my, my hips, my, my legs were a little heavy after the, the training camp and the volume I did in Kenya, but it was definitely nice to be down at sea level. So when I, I mean, the first one was at, at the headwind and I didn't really feel too much of a rhythm. And then the next two, I, I felt great and I felt the rhythm and, my coach said with 4K to go or 5K to go, you can start push a little bit now if you want to. You can go out of your comfort zone. And I hit a couple of like three flat minutes case. And it felt fine. And I could probably keep pushing that even though my legs got more and more tired. I could still manage to pick up the speed, which is I'm re- really happy for. And I'm really positive about the, the workout. So, so yeah, if, I think if my coach would have said on that third one, instead of me pushing the pace, he said, okay, just maintain it at race pace and we'll do another 7K, I probably would have been able to do that. And I think that's how it should be for the marathon preparation. You don't yeah. want to make every training run a, a race. Yeah. No, that's a very, very good sign. Awesome. Yeah, very exciting. And just once again, the 305 okay, what does that, if you're able to average that, what does that give you for the marathon? I haven't calculated 305, but I know 306, because it's really easy, that's 15.30 and 31 minutes per 10K per 5 and 10k so sure. the 306 would give you 21055 right okay so, so that's kind of a good trademark you know if you're 10 seconds under 31 you know you're on the safe side and if you're 10 seconds over you know you know you're still kind of good yeah sure so it's it's, it's just nice nice smart way of doing it yeah absolutely 
Awesome. No, I really appreciate you sharing uh, bits and pieces of the training there. And I guess uh, one thing I'd like to, or that I was really interested in when we met was that you're studying medicine as well. You're balancing that with, with all these other huge ambitious goals going on. And I also learned just before we started recording this, that you're about to go back to Kenya to do a little internship at the Eldoret uh, or one of the hospitals at Eldoret. So yeah, let's talk a bit about that. You're in your, at your master's degree now, which is the second year of the sort of um, second segment of medicine. So you've got a few years left. Um, but how are you managing at the moment with balancing all of that, um, you know, study load with the, with the training and racing? Yeah. So, so briefly, if you, I could explain how the medical school works in Denmark. It's, three years of a bachelor where we study pretty much it's mainly focused on the books it's only two weeks of clinicals and it's all the anatomy and physiology and how the body should work and then the masters is also three years and that's where you spend half of the time at at clinicals and the other half you spend studying but that's about all the diseases in in different areas and so the bachelor i did in four years instead of three and it's the same I'm going to do for the masters. So that gives me a little bit more room to, to work around it. And it's definitely tougher being on the masters program now, because when you have clinicals, it's eight, it's usually like a typical day when I'm at clinicals, I would have the, the good luck that I can actually go to the hospital here in town in Aarhus. And I usually run there in the morning. So I'll leave my place at like six thirty, run there, I'll be at the hospital at 7.15, I'll get dressed, and then conference is around 7.45, and I work till 4 o'clock. And then I run home again, and sometimes I take a longer way home or a shorter way or whatever is on my training program. And these days are pretty pretty rough because you go from 6 morning to yeah, 6 evening. I usually eat my oats while, <laughs> like after taking the shower at the hospital and getting <laughs> dressed I have some like overnight oats, but yeah, I'm fine with that. In the periods where <laughs> where I'm not at clinicals and where I just like have to study, I think only we have a couple of hours of lectures, and they started to record some of the lectures, which is really really nice for me. So I can kind of go up at like a typical day would be I would get up at seven fifteen seventh day, and I'll be out running by eight to nine come back and then study a little bit, eat some breakfast, like obviously eat breakfast, eat something during the day and then have a nap and then go for training and I will study a little bit in the evening again just because I can be really flexible with it. So some periods are really tough and some periods are really nice. So yeah. and the good thing is with the clinicals, it's usually three to five weeks. So the first two weeks are always really exciting and then it's just biting your teeth and getting through it. Yeah, sure. And yeah, the the thing we mentioned with the with the internship in in Eldoret, it's Eldoret is like half an hour from E10 where we usually train. It's still at 2100 meter of altitude, and I'm going to do my internship there in March for four weeks instead of doing them in in Denmark, which is is really neat because I'll actually get to see something like I think a lot of it will be obviously cancer and infectious medicine and all the infectious medicine part like with malaria and some other some other viruses and bacteria i won't mention here because you'll probably be bored by them <laughs> uh, i have the opportunity to 
to be more familiar with them down there. So it's yeah, that's going to be a great experience, and hopefully I can post some stuff from there as well. Yeah, that will be really cool. How did you te- how did you organize that? Did you just go into the hospital there, or did you contact them beforehand? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an American distance runner, Toby Tanter, who also wrote the book of More Fire. Yeah, he started okay, his yeah. foundation like Children's Shoe for Africa, and he gathered gathered shoes and distributed them around Kenya. And he decided to do more, and he built his own children's hospital in Eldoret. And he was at uh, he was in Iten, also just staying at the same place I stayed last time, and we just started talking to each other and I told him I was studying medicine and thought it would be really cool for my CV and for for me as a doctor to have some learning experience like having an internship in Africa and hopefully I can I can maybe come back in the future and help out these people that have a less proper health system than we do in Denmark. Yeah. I would assume that would be a very different experience uh, doing the internship in Kenya, <laughs> remote Kenya, that is, as opposed to doing it in the De- city. Definitely, it's, it's, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be very interesting in Denmark. We have all everything is electronic, and it's pro- it's not electronic here yet. It's it's all on paper, pretty much. So that's hopefully I have to I have to practice my handwriting so that I can actually read what I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, it's probably been a while. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the the good thing studying medicine is they're quite flexible at where I study and the Danish system is is overly great in the way that I actually get paid to go to university that's not only for medical school it's just in general so I get like 700 euros a month for going to school from this I obviously have to pay my books and food and accommodation but I still see this as a big big privilege but we also have the highest tax once we get out so (laughs) double-edged sword yeah but yeah. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that'll be awesome. And you said before we recorded this that your days there are going to be quite long. You're going to be starting early and finishing late, but you'll uh, hopefully be able to get in, get the training in uh, while you're while you're over there as well. And yeah, as you said, it's just down the road from Mitten and Kaptagat, so it's not too far to to do training sessions up yeah, there. Yeah, on the weekends or again, with, again with all the training, you should factor in the recovery. So obviously, the recovery will be less comparing to not doing clinicals. So I'll probably be doing more intensity and more volume in the weekends and just maybe not go for a morning run every day during during the week just to sleep in and, and get some rest. And But it's the first couple of weeks there will be week three and four after my marathon in Seville. So in general, in week three and four after my marathon, I won't be cranking high mileage or doing any crazy sessions it would just be kind of finding the rhythm back and maybe doing 150k or something in that fourth week. Fourth yeah. week. Sure. Well, hopefully. So I, I think, I, I think it will be fine. Forward. You've got to adapt to the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, hopefully, if it all goes to plan, you've you've got the qualifier already under your belt for Tokyo, and you don't have to rush straight back back into training then because you would have um, what is it, March, April, May, June, July? It'd be, it'd be six, seven months until. Yeah, plenty of time. Hopefully, that's that's the way it's going to go down. Yeah, and I if mean, not, there, pressure, <laughs> even if I have to go out and do another marathon, I'm not going to have the base from now and I'm rushing training or catching up with training you've done because you were hurt. Once, once you start going down that road, it's a slippery slope. You, you should never do that. It's, yeah. You sometimes mentally want to do it, but it's, it's, you're never going to physically benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, cool. I mean, uh, if you if you just miss the qualifying standard in in uh, in Seville, for example, but you you feel like you've got it in you, do you think that you'll try and shoot for another one in the spring? I mean, it's a bit of a <laughs> you don't really want to plan for the worst, but at the same time, that gap between Seville and 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 Tokyo Olympics is about six months. Um, there probably is enough time there to be able to to do another one if you needed to. Is that something that yeah, you thought about yet, or? As as long, it's it's a it's a good it's a good question and it's a really hard one because it's easy to chicken out if you have a backup plan. But on the other hand, I'm also not that stupid that I know that a marathon is a long race and you can't control the weather, etc. So you better have a backup plan and then you can pretend like it's a do or die race at the time. So. If Sevilla doesn't work out, I definitely will do another one, and I haven't planned which one yet, and yeah, I probably yeah. won't until till afterwards. But yeah, I had a hard time getting. I tried to get into London, but I didn't get accepted, so that was tough. But that's the way it's going. London this year seems extremely difficult to get into the elite. I mean, I know of two twelve, two thirteen guys that have been that haven't haven't heard back from them either. So it's uh, yeah, it seems like it's pretty stacked. It's really very very interesting. I think when you have marathon majors, I also saw the start fields for Tokyo. There, for the guy side, there's not a single European guy in there. Right. Which I think maybe maybe one. Sorry, maybe one Abdi Bashir. I'm not sure from Belgium. But there's not a. How can these marathon majors? They. They're they're so big. They they should be the fact that they should have at least five people from each continent. If the, if there's five people applying, I mean obviously they shouldn't be taking somebody from. I don't know if only one guy from South America writes, they shouldn't take five just for the sake of it, but they should have at least five spots to Europe or 10 spots to Europe. I think that's kind of like, I'm not telling them to give me, even for London, I don't ask for start money. I don't ask for, for a lot. I just ask for a lead bib and my bottles and maybe some nights <laughs> at a hotel. Yeah. I think there should be done something about it. So, I mean, in London, though, in particular, there, there's obviously a lot of Europeans already on the start list. Is sort of what you're saying that you, you found it strange that Tokyo didn't have any Europeans in there? They were favouring, I guess, all of the top Asian and... Yeah, but maybe, maybe no Europeans wrote them. That could also be the case. So before accusing them of anything, I, the facts should probably be checked up. But in, in London, you have, I think, four Europeans right now, Sandra and another Norwegian guy, an Italian... And the French, and then obviously the English, which are all European. But uh, I know German, the Germans that are run 212, 213, they don't get in. I know, I mean, I run 214, I don't get in, even though I don't have a... I don't say they have to pay me anything. Or, I just want to race the race, because I think it's a good race. Yeah, absolutely. But it's... Yeah, there's probably some transparency and some stuff. I think they should make... These races should just make guidelines for... if you. If you have a European run under 212, you get in and you get bottles. You get your own drinks. If you run under 215, you can get in and you don't have your own bottles. Like Just try to make it even more transparent on their websites. And it's not just London. It's just pretty much all the majors. London do have those standards, but they don't – it doesn't sound like – again, I don't know enough about this to really comment, but it doesn't sound like they – it, like they say, oh, the, the the first level is like I think it's like two fifteen or or two fourteen, but then yeah. they're, they're rejecting people that are in that zone anyway. It's like they've got a very low quota. 
Yeah, right? I think yeah. they, they also said they had like 60 euro people supply this year, so it's obviously very, very hard for them. Yeah. And sure. they also got to, I mean, their money's probably coming from the British broadcasting, so it makes sense in an Olympic year that they take the British athletes, so in that sense I understand, but yeah, it would be nice if they would just take a little bit more of European athletes and and we could actually have a good run together with the British. I could, they could pro- it could probably help some of the British guys as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't sure. think Kipchoge and Bikila is going to help the British guys a whole lot. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they're going to help anyone. Perhaps uh, a couple of the other training partners in Ethiopia and Kenya, but other than that. Nah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll try to do another one if it really doesn't work out, but I'm, I'm going to make it all or nothing in, uh, in Seville. It's going to yeah. be, we're going out at 2.11 pace and we'll just see. The pace feels good, and I feel confident, and I'm just going to stay away from being sick or injured in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Well, before we uh, round up the podcast episode, um, I just want to ask you a couple of quick things just while I've, uh, while I've got a medicine student uh, <laughs> on the, on the yeah. call. I'm actually really curious to know, I've had this sort of um, talked about this topic with a few people who may not know as much about it as you, but the whole... Um, Maintaining weight uh, or trying to try to sort of shed weight to an ideal um, weight before a race in a healthy way. Um, I've tried in the last couple of years, I've tried um, intermittent fasting um, quite a bit where I'll try to have 16 to 18 hour, uh, probably not quite 18, normally 15 to 16, um, should I say, our windows in uh, 24 hour periods where I won't consume any calories. And I've actually found that to be very very beneficial in, sh- in, in, in losing weight coming closer to a race. But I, I don't do it every single day. I, I do it the days that I have the easy run. So, for example, today I had a 16K easy run in the morning, but I wouldn't eat before it, and I m- might not eat for a few hours after it. Um, do you know a lot about this topic, and what, do you, what are your personal opinions about if someone said to you, look, I've got a race in a month, I'm training pretty well, but I'd really like to lose a couple of kilos? What would you, what would you sort of suggest to them, or what would you say to them? Yeah, first of all, I would probably say I don't have like a lot of evidential knowledge on this. I, I've read some stuff about it and I've seen from own experience and I've seen from other people. So it's probably mainly going to be my own opinion about this. But I think, I think obviously doing, even I did in Kenya, I would go out for 35k runs in the morning before eating anything. So that would put me I would eat at 7 o'clock at night, so that would leave me 5 hours, 12. It will probably give me like 15, 16 hours before I would eat something again. And that would probably just come natural, just because I would get up in the morning and go for a long run just to try to see if I could get my fat burner going a little bit extra. Yeah. But weight is – I never – it's a deliberate issue, and I think that people, especially when they're under a certain age, like 20 years, so 23, 25 – there are so many other things you could you could do first, so I wouldn't recommend anybody focusing on that. Okay. But when you get to when you get to a certain age and you're very capable of taking smart and wise decisions, I think you can go into it. But I kind of have the even with myself the opinion that you should probably be at a certain level, and you should probably do it with a dietitian if okay. you really want to go if you want to go a lot into it. I think if you train more for a period, I think your body will actually shed a little bit of weight by itself. Or like even you saying this, like have the fasting periods, it seems like you thought about it. But for some people, it, it might just, for me, for example, I, yeah, as I mentioned, I would go for a long run in the morning in Kenya. 
and before I would be back, it would be 11 o'clock before I would eat. So I'm actually doing it naturally without thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, you are. But I, I don't think you should put your body into too much starvation. If you if you feel like eating, you should, you should probably get something into the engine. And especially with the marathon, I don't think a lot of people say it's all, you always have to be lighter, but I don't necessarily think so because if you get to, so from my opinion if you get too light for a long time you or that's not just my opinion that's evidential actually you have the a bigger risk of getting sick uh-huh. so if you want to do something i think you should probably do the last couple of weeks before your marathon or whatever race you're targeting maybe you would cut out some of the sugar or say i cut out cake and cake soda and chips now Kind of the things that are unnecessary, really, if you think yeah. about it. Yeah, sure. And then, and then, but keep eating, like, keep eating normal and keep eating a lot of fruit and, and, and veggies and, and chicken and stuff like that. So cut out, the, cut out the unnecessary things that last month and then have it as a reward afterwards again. I'm a really big believer of really eating garbage after my race. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really just and and I'm not a big, I don't cut the the soda, the chocolates out or anything before. I'm just kind of I'm also not weighing myself. I, I have no clue what I weigh. I just train and eat, and if my times are going well, I think that's a healthy body, ready to race. Yeah. And uh, but afterwards, after marathon, I know I, I probably I trained very hard for a long time. I try to eat a little bit of like. Go to McDonald's twice or something like that, and then you're like, ah, it's not that great actually. So then you kind of <laughs> like, no, I don't need that for the next couple of months again. Yeah. And go out, get get drunk after the race, probably usually. Yeah. Like, like get a real real good hangover, so <laughs> you don't want to get drunk for the next three four months. So this stuff like that, I think it's really important to just also mentally just let go a little bit, like the first two three weeks after a marathon for sure. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. it's definitely different when you're in the middle of the track season. You should probably not use this approach, but speaking from a marathon perspective, you spend so much time towards this goal. So I really try to overeat a little bit so the body can recuperate and and the and the mental aspect of it is is good as well. So yeah, I, I've definitely experienced eating a lot helps me not being sick. Okay, which is better for me than. And due to the marathon, you will always lose a little bit of weight during the marathon because you will dehydrate a little bit. And it's actually shown that the first kilo or kilo and a half, it's actually performance enhancing. It's when you get beyond the, the kilo and a half of weight loss of water and, and sugar, it's starting to become yeah, performance decreasing. So sure. it, might be, it might be good having a little bit extra maybe. <laughs> Okay. I think you break you 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 break less easy. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think you should also look if if you if you do a lot of like dieting and you really try to lose weight in some periods and you and you get sick a lot or you get a lot of, you get some stress like you get more than one stress fracture. You should probably look look what you're doing with your food and uh, knock on wood. I never had a stress fracture and I. And I kind of escaped most sickness days, so I think from that perspective, I'm I'm doing well. Yeah, sounds like you definitely. And in the long run, that will be better. Yeah, 
That's, yeah, for sure. Okay, well, final quick question before we round it up. What is your um, pre-race, uh, on the same topic as, uh, of diet, like what, what would you normally recommend people to do um, if someone asked you, okay, what, would, what should I consume in the final few days before just to make sure that carbohydrates are sort of, you know, topped up and, and still ready to go for the race? Like what, what, what would your final 72 hours look like in terms of, in terms of eating? What would you avoid eating? What would you eat more of? Do you take maltodextrin? Just things like that. No, I try to keep it very normal. I just eat what I usually do and, and, I think it's a good thing for most people to try it out before a hard session, like three, four, five weeks out. If you have a really hard session, try to try to think what what did you do if if it goes well, like the session I did now. Okay, what did I eat the last couple of days? Because that obviously went fine. So yeah, you usually just eat a lot of. I eat my oats in the morning, and then I eat some bread, like usually white bread sandwich, for lunch, and then some pasta in the evening, and maybe I, I eat a little bit more of pasta in the evening the day before or two days before but i don't i don't want to overeat because if you overeat you can kind of get like a upset stomach or like a lot of like <laughs> gases in your stomach as well so sure i'll eat till i'm i'm full and i think it's just important to get get enough so if you really like apple juice uh, the day before drink a lot of apple yeah. juice <laughs> what i what i tend to do is I don't think too much about my, what I eat, but if something's, if my stomach's really bad or if something is upset in a training run, I try to think back, okay, what factor the last day could potentially have caused this? And then for the next time, I try to keep that out of the equation and then see if everything goes better. Like, sure. for example, eating eating chocolate, a lot of chocolate the day before is, is not great for my stomach, for example. Yep. So, okay. but in the, in the like, m- Typical last like pre-race meal would be just a cup of coffee, glass of water, glass of, glass of apple juice, and then usually some white bread with Nutella and probably some pancakes and a little bit of fruit, not too much. Yeah. Because there's a lot of fibers in fruit that that attach water, so try to not eat too much of it. But sure. stuff like that. Okay. That's what I would eat in the morning, and I don't overdo the coffee. That it's something. You already have a lot of adrenaline in your body when you want to go for a race, and some people seem to overdo the coffee because now they want to get really pumped. And it's, <laughs> it's caffeine has been related to to stomach issues. So I can definitely um, attest to that. I'm not going to tell any more stories, but yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be you got to be careful. So if if you normally drink one cup of coffee before your hard training sessions, don't drink two on race day. Yeah, that's great advice. Tyus, thanks so much for your time. Um, I suggest people to follow your journey on, I follow you on Strava and Instagram. Um, in particular, Strava, you're very detailed about your training, which is awesome. There's not too many other athletes at your level posting as detailed as you do on Strava. So uh, to find you is just your full name, which we'll link in the in the podcast um, notes. And also on Instagram, you're easily found by the same handle. Um, is that where you sort of post post everything, Instagram, Strava, or is there someone else as well? No, that's about it. I have a Facebook, but I keep that probably to to the close friends. And now Instagram and Strava, you 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 follow me, and if you have any questions to why, why I do stuff, just hit me a message, and I'll try to explain the best way I can. I'm, I'm all for transparency and and just showing that there's no shortcuts to, to running fast. Perfect. 
Thanks so much again for your time and all the best leading into Seville. Three weeks to go. Thank you very much. It's going to be uh, an epic race and a good journey.